Amen. Aren't you thankful for the love of God? Wow. It's beyond being able to describe. It's amazing. Many adjectives have been used about the love of God. It's a wonderful thing. The most precious thing we could ever experience is the love of God. Would you agree? But I have taken the time for us to sing that song about God's love toward us and for us to meditate on that for just a moment. I've done all of that to say that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because when you talk about God and you talk about love, the first thing that comes to our mind probably is how much God loves us and how grateful we are because of that and how we have benefited from His love. And that's an important thing. But this morning, that's not going to be the subject because we are going to read the great commandment. Jesus' words from the New Testament, and there we will we'll understand that the topic today is not that God loves us. It's that the most important thing in our life should be that we love Him. Notice that phrase, if you would, the great commandment. We're going to see in the scripture in a few moments how that there came a man to Jesus one day and said, Lord, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, if you go through the whole Bible at that time, the Old Testament, Lord, what is the great commandment? Of all of them, what's the biggest one? The most important one, what would it be? And we get the feeling that Jesus didn't even hesitate a bit. And he began to give the words as to what that commandment would be. It's that great. It's that important. It's that big. It's that monumental. It's worth us spending our time on this morning and actually making it the goal of our life. The great commandment. And then that second word or third word actually in the title would be commandment. Commandment is a pretty strong word, isn't it? It's not like an option, a good idea, a suggestion. I just want us to get in our minds today what we're going to be talking about is the great, biggest, hugest, most important commandment, not suggestion or choice, really. It's what God wants from us, what God requires from us, what he expects from us. That's what we're going to be talking about. Now, the reason we're going to be talking about it, of course, is because as we go to our vision statement, we're spending this entire month going through this vision statement phrase by phrase. And thus far, if you would, let's read it through together again, would you? Aloud, all together, this is the vision statement of our church. We're trying to get it fixed in our minds. We're trying to get on a solid foundation. We're trying to be unified in our purpose, understand who we are and what our job is and why God has put us here. That's our vision statement. Let's read it together. To be a hospital to the hurting and the lost. To provide education concerning God and his word. To love God and love people. And to accomplish this through the prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now those first two phrases we've already dispensed with. We've talked about those. It encompasses what we know as the great commission. That is to recognize that people in this world are lost. 
they're hurting, they are sick, they're sin sick. There is no cure for sin except Jesus Christ. So we've been called to take the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to this world to be a hospital to the hurting and the lost. That is, it doesn't matter who they are, what they believe, where they're from, what they've done, how they smell, or any other thing. None of that matters. We are the kind of church that's going to welcome them, whoever they are, and they're welcome here. We want them here. If you agree with that, would you say amen? And then once they come and once we've shared the gospel with them, we're not looking for just somebody who will say a prayer with us. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Amen. And then, and then they're on their way to heaven because it doesn't work quite that way. And in our culture today, as we talked last week, we've made it probably, we've made it simple and the gospel is simple, but we may have, we may have more than simplified it. We may have cheapened it. Because the scripture tells us that there is a lot required from those who will choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to count the costs. We're to realize what it is that we're, we're committing to, what it is that we're deciding, what it is that uh, we're going to do with the rest of our life. And that is make him Lord of our lives and follow his direction for our own lives and purpose. So that is then that we're supposed to provide education. That is, we're to be teaching people concerning God and his word. People don't come to church, according to the Bible, people don't come to church for fancy dissertations and to be entertained by a good orator and hear a great story and laugh a little while and go home. That's not, that's what not, that's not what church is about. Church is about coming to a place where you're going to hear the word of the Lord. You're going to be taught what the Bible says. So in that vein, when it comes to the sharing of the gospel, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said in the Great Commission, as you take the accounts from different gospels and put them together, Jesus said, go into all nations and make disciples. Disciples are pupils. Disciples are people who learn. So Christians right off the bat are learners and followers and people who will will follow direction. Disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. So then you take all the words. I was excited this week. Somebody in their church told me they'd been reading their Bible and they'd been reading the red. And they found it particularly a blessing to their lives to read the red and not worry too much about the rest of it in this reading of the Bible and how it was blessing their lives. I'll tell you what, when you... When you pay attention to what Jesus has said that we're supposed to do, it will be a blessing to your life. And even more so when you obey it, it will enrich your walk with the Lord Jesus. It will be a delight to serve the Lord. You can be strong in the Lord. You can have peace and joy and love and abundance in your heart. It's amazing if we will do what the Lord has instructed us to do, how well our lives can go and our walk with Him. Now, don't go away and say, Pastor Ron was talking about this morning, how that Christians don't have any trouble in their lives. You know that's not true. Christians have trouble in their lives. Amen? We have difficulties. In the world you shall have trouble. Tribulation, Jesus said, is coming. 
We have frustrations too. It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. Yes, we have troubles, but we have a Savior whose relationship with us is strong enough to carry us through those difficult times and give us peace and help us to be victors because he wears the victor's crown. So that's where we are in our in our uh, vision statement today. And now we come to this part that says that we are to love God and love people. Now if you'll notice we're not talking about here God loving us. We're talking about God loving, about us loving God. Loving God is more than saying, I love you Lord. Amen. Is it not? We're going to see this morning that Jesus says there is. There's more to it to it than just saying I love you. It involves other things as well. And then next Sunday we're going to see where all of this can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to Matthew 22 and we're going to begin reading our text together. Matthew 22. I'm going to pick up in verse 34. The uh, screen will pick up at verse 35. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind. Now, I read that slowly because it kind of needs to soak in. Jesus said the greatest thing, your highest priority in life is going to need to be that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. With all of your soul. And with all your might. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments. Hang all the law. And the prophets. So. If we were to imagine. This umbrella. Being the great commandment. And everything else. In the Bible written on slips of paper, tied with fishing line, and hung up under the umbrella, we'd have a pretty good idea of what Jesus was saying. In other words, as you read what the Bible requires of us, Old Testament and New, and put all of it together, most all of it can be summarized underneath the heading of love God and love people. If we can learn to love God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we can learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, love people, we're well on our way to pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We make it so hard. We make it so difficult. As if this is really hard to understand. And Jesus said, no, no, it's not really hard to understand. Because if you love God with all of your heart... And soul and mind and strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And you treat people like you want to be treated and respect them. Everything else follows underneath that. And can be hinged or hang on the great commandment. That 
is a pretty good picture of how important the great commandment is in our hearts and lives even today. And I'll tell you what, we will make no apology for that being one of the, one of the uh, pillars of our vision statement. I don't know about you, but that makes me, um, gives me a sense of satisfaction and, and, and pride, not in a bad sense, but in a good sense to know that our church's vision statement is founded on the great commission and the great commandment. Isn't that good? I mean, how could you be more biblical than that, folks? As to make that your priority, first of all, recognize that this is a place where the lost and hurting should be welcome and that they're sick and they need a Savior and we're to share the gospel with them. And furthermore, we're to teach them to observe all the things that Jesus has said and that the Word of God teaches. And then that we're to love God and love people. I'm going to tell you, that puts us way down the road of pleasing the Lord and being biblical and and having His countenance shine upon us. That's a wonderful thing. Jesus said you should love the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's simple enough, isn't it? To love God and to love people. Now what I'd like to do is take those two things. To love God and to love people. Those two categories. Those two classifications. We are to love God and we're to love people. And I'd like to use two passages of scripture, one for each of those to illustrate how important that is in the, um, in the eyes of our Lord, in the estimation of the Savior, if you will. So I'm going to turn to John chapter 21, if you'd like to turn with me. This is not going to be on the screen, just the, the, the designation there but not the text itself. John chapter 21 is an interesting chapter. In John chapter 20, Jesus has uh, risen from the dead. He has appeared to Mary Magdalene. He has appeared to the apostles after his resurrection, except that um, Thomas was playing hooky that day and wasn't at church. And when Jesus appeared to the disciples, he didn't see it. He didn't witness it. The disciples were telling Thomas that they had seen the Lord. And Thomas, of course, said, I don't believe it. I'll never believe it unless I put my hands in his nail-scarred hands. I see it for myself with my eyes and I touch him. I won't believe it otherwise. So Jesus appeared again to the disciples, the Bible says. And Peter was there. Jesus said to him, Thomas, I mean, excuse me. He said, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. I'm reading in verse 27 of chapter 20. Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And, of course, the Bible tells us that they went on their way. Um, I wish we could have more insight into what was going on in their minds. But we have a pretty good indication when the Bible says in chapter 21 that Peter looked at the other disciples and he said, I am going fishing. 
Jesus has risen from the dead. He's obviously alive. But it's been a rough few days. Peter doesn't know exactly what's going on. He doesn't know what his future is. He doesn't know what he's going to be doing. He's uh, kind of looking back to what he used to do and uh, having some doubts of his own. And he says, I'm going fishing. And you know what the rest of the disciples said, don't you? They said, we're going with you. So they all went fishing. Now, you, what you need to understand, though, is they weren't going fishing for the enjoyment of it. They weren't going fishing just to get away like some of us love to do. They used to be fishermen. And they had boats and they had nets. And they were kind of crushed at the things that they had seen happen. It's been just a few days since Peter denied the Lord three times. He's carrying that guilt. And Jesus is not there with them steady and every day like he used to be. And so he says, I'm going fishing. And they says, we'll go with you. So chapter 21 is where we pick up that. Verse 4 says, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Previous to that, we've learned that they didn't catch anything that night. Jesus said, children, do you have any meat? Do you have any food? They answered him, no. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. You will find some. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. You know the story. They cast the net out. They caught 153 fish. That obviously was a lot of fish for that net and that boat and that that way of doing things as we read here. And they, they drew these fish to the land. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Verse 14 says, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So a very important passage, folks. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? These, at least in my mind, certainly being the fish, because that's the these that have been talked about for the last several verses. Simon, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. We could take the time and go back to the original words that were being used, but I don't know that they're that important to what I want to communicate to you this morning. So I would just like to say to you, based on this passage of Scripture, 
that saying, Lord, I love you, is not enough. Peter was saying, Lord, I love you. But Jesus was saying, then why aren't you doing what I called you to do? Lord, you know I love you. Well, then why aren't you tending my sheep? But Lord, you know I love you. Why aren't you feeding my lambs? You see, it's not the words, I love you, that are magical. It's doing the right things to show that you love. That's what makes the difference. Anybody can say, I love you. And it be just words. But you know what? You can actually say, I love you in a lot of different ways besides those three words coming out, can't you? In a lot of ways, you can show your love. You can prove your love. You can demonstrate your love. The words really don't matter all that much if you're not backing them up with the proper actions. You see, the fact of the matter is, three years earlier, Simon Peter was a a rough man. Well, he's still a rough man. But three years prior, he was he was rough. He cussed like a sailor. He was loud and obnoxious and arrogant and a lot of other things. The scripture gives us glimpses into his life. But Jesus walked by one day as Peter and the guys were cleaning their nets. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What did Peter do? He dropped his nets. And he followed Jesus. For three years now, Peter has been following Jesus. He's been with him daily. He's heard him teach. He's seen his miracles. He's actually been involved in some miracles himself. Based on the authority and so forth that Christ had imparted to him and given him. Three years he spent with Jesus. Then when it came time for Jesus to go to the cross, the same man denied Jesus three times. And now, three times, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Peter. Do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. And it bothers him that he asked him the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And if you read through that passage, every time is, well, then do what you're supposed to be doing. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, do what I've called you to do. Again, we're not talking about this morning, God's love for us. We're talking about our love for him. And our love for him has to be more than, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. The singing those words to him, we sing those words all the time. In different songs, we'll tell the Lord we love him. But you know what? If we aren't doing what he said do, then the words are pretty empty. But when we begin to do what he calls us to do, then we are pleasing in his sight. So what is the great commandment? To love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Give it 110%. Love God that way by doing the things that he has called us to do. 
If you see that in scripture, would you say amen? amen? It's not just words. It's doing it. Now, I recognize when I bring this up that in the minds of some people it creates a tension. A tension, not attention, but it, it creates tension. There's a pull there because we, we've had it just, we've had it drilled into us. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Well, we're not. We know that. Salvation is a gift from God. Amen. But once we have committed our life to Jesus, he requires commitment. That's why we can call him Lord. That's also why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things I say? Are you with me? So we have these requirements, these expectations, these commandments from our Lord. He wants us to do these things. Lord, would you tell us what the great commandment, the greatest of all the commandments, Lord, tell us what it is. He says, I'll tell you what it is. The greatest commandment is love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. That is demonstrate by doing the things that I've told you to do. That's how you prove your love to the Lord. And that's the great commandment. To love God with everything that we have. And then the second commandment is likened to the first, right there with it, is loving people. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10 to see about this business of loving people. Luke chapter 10 I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. And we're going to read the same passage we've been reading in a different gospel. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered, Oh, those of you who know me know I'm not used to using a handheld, but we had a malfunction with the other one today, so i got to do the best I can. Nathan, will you help me this morning? Um, if you would just come over here, about right here, and just lay on the floor. <laughs> you can handle that, right? Okay, here's what the Bible teaches. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's him. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. If you're up close, you can, he looks half dead. He, he has been beaten, he has been robbed, and he's left laying in the street. Okay. And then the Bible says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road.
Chris, can you help me? Just go to the back and come up this aisle. Chris is the priest or the preacher. We're going to modernize this just a little bit, okay? So here comes the preacher. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's headed for Jericho. And he looks over here and he sees this guy. And that's that's about as far as he goes. And he turns around and says, uh-uh. I don't want to do this. I don't want to get involved. Somebody else can do it. He'll be okay. The preacher. Thank you, Chris. And then the Bible says, Likewise, a Levite or a deacon. Ronnie, would you come up the same road, please? Here comes the Levite, the deacon, we'll call him today. And the Bible says, and when he arrived at the place, he came and looked and passed by on the other side. He would get nowhere near. Y'all getting the picture? Now, we're talking about the preacher and the deacon now. The priest and the Levite. People should... Who should have had some compassion, right? Yeah. People who should have cared at least a little bit. Elvis, would you go back to the back, please? Now, Elvis, he's different from these others. He's not a preacher, and he's not a deacon. This morning, he's a Samaritan. Now, before the Samaritan comes in, remind somebody remind us... How the, how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. And how about, how did the Samaritans feel about the Jews? Okay, come down this aisle, please, Elvis. So Elvis is leaving Jerusalem, coming through the area, going down the road to Jericho. Elvis is a Samaritan. He's not even a Christian. Elvis is a Samaritan, and he's coming down, and what does he do? Listen. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Well, let's ask the man who was all beat up. Sir, which one of these, the preacher, the deacon, or the Samaritan? Was a neighbor to you. I'm going to say this Samaritan was a good neighbor. And indeed he was. Thank you gentlemen. I appreciate it. Verse 37. And he said he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him. Go and do likewise. Why are we here? I mean as Christians. Think about it. Why are we here?
What is the Great Commission? But to recognize that people are lost and hurting. They're sick. They need help. They need relief. They need good news. They need Jesus. So it's our job. That's why we're here. Listen, we can't pin this on the preachers. You see what preachers will do. And we can't pin this on the deacons because you see what deacons will do. Are you with me? Everybody wants to just kind of slough it off for somebody else to do when it's all of our responsibilities to do it. Boy, I just, I had this, it wasn't a vision, so don't make it that spiritual. But I had this, this thought that I could actually see in my mind. That every time, if we were to compare our lives with this parable that, that I just read to you. Every time we have a co-worker that's going through something and they're troubled and we sit there and we keep our mouth shut. And never open our mouths to encourage them and tell them about Jesus. We're doing the same thing that Chris did when he walked right, that, right by that man and left him there and ignored him and went on. Amen? And every time we have a neighbor struggling, everything in their, their life is going wrong. They don't go to church and you know it and you know they're not Christians and we, we know they're hurting and we don't reach out to them in some way and, 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 and share the love of God with them. We're doing just like that deacon or that Levite who walked by and saw them. See, because the preacher and the deacon, we know better. Fact of the matter is, the rest of us know better too. How are we going to win people to the Lord if we don't ever open our mouths and tell them about the goodness and the mercy and the amazing grace we were singing about a while ago? Right? Master, what is the great commandment? It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And be willing to get involved and be willing to share with people. And be willing to tell them about the Lord and they're hurting and you can do something to relieve some of that. It's time to get engaged and do what Jesus has called us to do. That's the great commandment. It's loving God and it's loving people. And it is the DNA of who Christians are at heart. The Lord did not call us to be Christians and hide in the woodwork and hide in the shadows and try to conceal our testimony and Stay out of you. No, the Lord said, no, I'm calling you to be light in a dark place. And I'm calling you to be salt in a world that needs it so desperately. We're salt and light and both make a big difference. That's who we're called to be. So as a, as a vision statement for a church, I think this would have to be there. Because it goes to the heart of what is absolutely most important in the eyes of our Lord. And it encompasses everything that's taught in the Word of God. Because everything else hangs on loving God and loving people. 
Now, we, um, we all have our jobs and we all go to school or we go, uh, we have friends, we have neighbors, we have communities. We all know people who don't know the Lord. And maybe our culture has just caused us to, to where we don't speak up much anymore. Let me, let me share with you before we close what I believe with all my heart. I shared this with you a little bit last week, I believe it was, uh, in the Great Commission and the scripture says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Anybody remember that? And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they'll take up serpents. If they drink anything, they'll not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Does anybody remember who those words were spoken about? Who would do that? Believers. Who said that? Believers. People who believed what the apostles preached. And still today, God will do that. God will honor his word. If we will go, signs will follow. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason we don't see many signs is because we don't do much going. And that's the only only conclusion I can come to because if you go to other regions of the world where they're going into the mission fields where there's demon worship and Satanism and voodoo and all kinds of other things, they go in those places. People just like you go in those places telling people about the Lord Jesus and there's people being raised from the dead and experiencing all kinds of miracles. Because they're going. And here in America, good Christian America... We may go a lifetime and never lead anybody to the Lord. And every single one of us have the ability to do just that. You can pray a prayer and lead somebody to Jesus just as much and maybe even more effectively than a pastor can. You can. You can, you can look at somebody who is in pain Maybe with tears running down their cheeks, they're hurting so bad. And you can say, would it be okay if I would just have prayer for you right now? And if they say yes, just say, Lord Jesus, I know that you're a healer. And I'm going to ask you to minister to this lady. And you understand her need. And I know that you're a healer. And there's nothing I can do but believe on you. But I do that, Lord. And I just ask you to touch this lady right now. You'd be surprised. That's not just a cliche. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised if we started doing that, what would start happening? Because God would honor his word. I'm, I'm still a person that believes that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Anybody else in here that way? He still answers prayer. You have not because you ask not. And so what I'm saying is this great commandment, us loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors, ourselves, if we make that the focus of our lives, it's going to shake this world up. It's going to shake this community up if we begin to do it. A thought-provoking hymn. We're not going to sing it. I'm going to read it to you. This came to mind as an appropriate invitation. 
but I didn't feel like probably that you'd get the meaning if we were trying to sing it. You'd never heard it before, so I'm going to read the words to you, and then we're going to pray. The song is entitled, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. It's written by a man, James Rao, I guess is how you pronounce his name, way back. And he's describing how it would be to stand before the Lord and somebody, maybe a neighbor of yours, they're standing before the Lord. The Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that person pointed his finger at you and said, How did you ever tell me about Jesus? You've never mentioned him to me. It's kind of the idea of the song. When in the better land, before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be. If any lost one there should cry in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. You never mentioned him to me, nor helped me the light to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, yet you never mentioned him to me. Oh, let us spread the word where'er it may be heard. Help groping souls the light to see. That yonder none may say, you showed me not the way. You never mentioned him to me. And then the final verse. Few sweet words may guide a lost one to his side, or turn sad eyes on Calvary. So work as days go by, that yonder none may cry, you never mentioned him to me. You never mentioned him to me, nor helped me the light to see. You met me day by day, and knew I was astray. You never mentioned him to me. I will assure you that in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store, the places you visit, there will be times when the Lord will open up the door for you to share the love of God with somebody who needs it. I know that. He will, he will make it plain to you that they're hurting. There will be something tugging at your heartstring. Maybe I need to, to speak with them. Maybe I need to ask them if I can pray for them. Sometimes you don't have to pray for them right there. Say, I'd like to pray for you. Could you give me the first name? I was in the food line last week and a lady checked me out. She was telling me about her husband who has stage four cancer. I said, could you tell me his name? I shared with her I'd be praying for him. It doesn't take much to do that, but it can mean so much to them and it may open the door to something more. But we need to understand the the opportunities that the Lord gives us. And I know, I know it's sometimes difficult to do. I've sat in hospital rooms with somebody in our church over the years, goodness, hundreds of times, I guess. 
and look across the waiting area and see somebody over there who just got bad news and they're weeping and they're broken. And some, there have been times, not all the time, but there have been times when the Lord just put it on my heart. You need to go, you need to go speak to them. And I'd go over and I have developed friendships and, and waiting rooms like that with people over weeks as their loved one was there. And there's been other times that I felt that same thing, like I should go talk to that person and I didn't do it. How do you think I felt later? Lower than low. And wondered, Lord, how could I have let you down that way? By not being sensitive enough or bold enough just to step across the room and say, Would it be okay if I had prayer with you? Lord Jesus, please touch my friend here today. You and you alone know what they're going through. And you're a God that's able to meet their needs. So I just lift them up to you. I pray that you would touch them and encourage them. Just a simple prayer like that. You never know what it may do in their hearts and lives. I believe that all of us have people in our circle, in our world that need Jesus. And we need to be sensitive to those times when the Lord opens that door. And he knows when to do it. It's a, it's an opportunity. It's a, it's a God ordained thing. When he opens that door and you can see the heart is tender and then, and then the Spirit of God just, just lays that on you. You need to do this. He does it for a reason. So along with this pastor who has failed many times in that area, I wonder if there are others who would join me at this altar for a closing prayer, asking the Lord, number one, to forgive us for those missed opportunities when we didn't obey, and number two, to give us the sensitivity and the courage to follow him in the future. When he opens the door, we want to go through it. If that's you, I want you to join me here, please. Lord, I hardly know what to say. Except that I believe that you have caused us through your holy word today to understand that there are ways and things that we should be doing that we have neglected that would scream to you I love you, I love you, I love you opportunities that we've missed sometimes a a direct word from you where we knew we should have done something and we failed, we didn't follow through 
Lord, we do pray that you would forgive us for those things, those missed opportunities. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, our spiritual ears to hear your voice. And recognize those times when people around us are open to the gospel. There's, there's people who are searching for somebody who will talk to them about spiritual things. There's people who need Jesus so badly. And their hearts are broken and their marriages are failing. And they just lost their job or... All kinds of things. There's just no peace, no happiness, no contentment at all in life. And they're searching. Most people are searching in the wrong places. Help those of us who know you. First of all, help us, Lord, to really be able to say from our hearts that we love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Help us be committed. Help us be sold out. Help us to know that we're here to make a difference. Lord, we're not here to take up space. We're not here to count as a number. We are here to do a job for you. We're children of the King and ambassadors for Christ. And we ask for your help. You see these willing workers here. These people who are willing to open their mouths and be a witness and share the gospel and share a prayer and share a word of hope with people who need it. Lord, I pray that these seeds will be sown and that they'll germinate quickly and we'll begin to see fruit, Lord, from our efforts of stepping out in faith to follow you. Everybody in here today is a witness for you. If they love you, if their sins have been forgiven, if the Holy Spirit of God indwells their lives, they are designed by you. They have the DNA to be a witness for you. So help us get past the idea that it's up to the preachers and it's up to the evangelists and it's up to all the other people that may be up front. Lord, the work gets done out in the field, not here. So help us to go forward and do the work that you've called us to do. Lord, there's people here who may have never won somebody to the Lord before. And in my mind right now, I can just see the joy and the rejoicing of their hearts. When they've prayed a prayer for someone and that person has accepted the Lord Jesus. Because of their obedience, what joy and what happiness. How wonderful that will be. So give us fruit, we pray. Let there be a harvest. Let there be fruit from this prayer, this endeavor, this time of commitment today. And we'll thank you for it. In the blessed name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.